you songbirds out there. Thanks for tuning in to Tail Feather this week. Uh, this week we're looking at episode number six. This is the third part in a mini series of called that's called Bringing Brands to Life. This is building the team with the one, the only Josh Carlos. Now to give you a little bit of uh, background of how Josh and I know each other and why he's on the show. Uh, Josh and I have known each other for a number of years at this point. I was watching him in a previous life just blaze some massive trails in Southern California, uh, also making my work very difficult in the most fun way possible because we were with competing agencies. It was an amazing time to be alive and and to witness his growth as a not only a marketer and not only a uh, team builder, but he's a human being. He's one of the most integrity-filled humans I've ever met in my life. I've wanted to get him on the show for a while now, and now we have Mr. Josh Carlos. Josh, can you please, first of all, thank you for joining. Hello, how are you? And please tell the people all about yourself, because I don't want to take that thunder. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Nick. I'm really excited to spend some time with you today. Unfortunately, we're on different sides of the planet. It's nighttime here, mm-hmm. morning for you. I uh, wish we were doing Indeed. it in person, but thankfully technology has made it pretty easy to still uh, stay close friends. So I'll, I'll go back not too far. I think it's worthwhile to probably just go back to around the time we met. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was about seven years ago. So like 20, maybe 2016. Yeah, I, think, I, pretty, I just remember walking down, I think it was sixth in San Diego and seeing orange umbrellas everywhere and being like, <laughs> shit, I'm going to have my, my work cut out for me here. <laughs> I was like, I need to find who this guy is. Yeah. Yeah. So you had just moved from Dallas and I was working for Campari. And uh, my yeah. role at the time was managing key accounts for Southern California. And it was an amazing opportunity to really grow into the career today, start to really learn some of the skill sets of what it takes to build a brand, um, what it takes to be a part of the team at the time. Wasn't managing anyone directly then when we first met. I think it really gave me foundationally some good building blocks for what was to come in my career. So um, about a few years after my time at Campari, I think I did just about three years there, I decided to take a leap of faith and jump into a new category. And that's when I joined Mm -hmm. the team at Liars. So obviously, we went from friends to coworkers um, pretty quickly during my time at Liars. But I spent you know, just under four years at Liars. I came in as employee number six in the business with aspirations to build out the the West Coast of the United States and pretty quickly moved into a position within the business where I was managing all of the, the North America business and starting to look at yeah. how to also help out the global footprint of the business through, you know, the cruise lines, duty-free, national accounts, et cetera. So... Right. That leads us to, gosh, it's been almost a year since I left Liars. I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. And after four years in a startup, I really truthfully just needed a break. You know, all that team building yeah. and working on brand building was an amazing experience. But I totally reached that burnout phase that I think is pretty common for people in high-level uh, roles in startups. And so when I left Liars... Put in my notice of January 2023, my number one goal was just to kind of get some time back with the family. So we took yeah. some time. We took a lot of time. We traveled quite extensively in 2023. We did about 150 days on the road across 50 cities in seven countries, I believe, as a family. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, it's fun to watch that, by the re- way. Yeah. 
thank you. I mean, I'm inspired by you yeah. and Stacey always with your guys' view of the globe, but to be able to kind of instill that desire into the kids and, you know, have those mm-hmm. moments as a family was life-changing. I think the goal to empty the bank account and just spend the year really focusing on growing us and showing our kids mm-hmm. experience outside of what they learn in the classroom. And I'd say we did it successfully. So Agreed. Um, the, the biggest advantage of that though, was because I had such a desire to really just focus on time at home, picking the kids up from school, taking them to school and traveling. I had an opportunity to shift what my professional life would look like. And I started doing some consulting work and believe mm-hmm. it or not, here I am 10 months later, still doing consulting work. I work on, um, at any given time, three to five, maybe six clients and just try and take some of the learnings that I had from those early brand days, early bar days, um, and bring it right through to their current businesses. And it's been a real joy to more or less become my own boss, service clients, and take small to medium-sized businesses and attempt to help them grow in the way that I think they should. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got the skill set, man. I've, I've seen you in action over the past few years, and even this past year of watching you absolutely just accelerate what you're doing and how you're doing it in a meaningful way, I think is probably the that icing on the cake, as they say. It's just been amazing to see you grow, but then I see you do it from a, from a place of integrity and from a place of, of true wanting to help. And I think that's uh, what one of the attributes that makes a really good leader, right? It's being able to to hold on to that integrity and, and not put it into question. And I don't know if you, if our audience follows this too much, but um, Josh and I read a lot of the same types of material pretty often. And one of the things that comes up a lot is integrity. And both of us uh, have seen some choices made by uh, people in our field, not in any of our companies, just in, in the field in general and hospitality that puts integrity into question. And once you lose integrity, it, is a very difficult thing to get back. Uh, it takes a lot of talking, a lot of reframing, a lot of introspection. Any of us that have maybe even been through a bad breakup have questioned our integrity and, and choices. And it's, it's the same type of reflection, I think, on a, on a gut level. Um, but it, that also lends into building really great teams because you start to understand that um, – I, I don't want to cover too too much of my thoughts on team building. We'll get into that in the conversation, but uh, I want to I want to look at the team building aspect because you did mention teams a couple of times there, and this is the team building episode. So I, I want to talk talk about the team building quite a bit. Um, so in the previous episodes prior to this, and you haven't seen them yet because or heard them yet because I haven't launched any of them. Uh, those will be in February, and I think your episodes March. Um, the the previous episodes talk about scalability. They talk about choosing the audience, um, how you get a plan moving, putting the gears into place. And this would be like that step after you've done your MVP, after you've done your focus groups, the testing phase is done. You know you've got a viable product. Now you got to build a team around it. So the audience out there is going to look to us and mainly you um, for figuring out how to hire the right people so that you as an owner or a person that's watching as an owner or investor or listening, uh, maybe a GM or a director, a DO can let go of the day-to-day and concentrate more on the next phases because you have to have the right team that you trust in place so that you can move on, right? So let's go through steps here. 
Who are your first hires in this part of the business building? Who are those those key players that you're gonna you're gonna put onto your team? All right, well, I'm gonna go cheesy because I did prep a little bit for this. You know me, I'm mm-hmm. trying to always be mm-hmm. prepared. Um, Would expect nothing a less. Lot of, yeah, a lot of my mentality on team building actually comes from emphatic desire to read business books now. I say that about myself in a pretty hilarious way because I usually read half of it and then never read the second. So <laughs> as much as I have this desire to learn a terrible read of ADD brain doesn't work um, quite in the way that allows me to digest books in, in full length. But going yeah. back to one key you know, thought process or ideology in team building um, goes back to Jim Collins' book and he talks about team building in a really unique way, in my opinion, as kind of a forefront business leader. And there's a really long quote, but I'm going to read the first sentence of it because I think it will answer 90% of the question here. And it says, those okay. who build great organizations make sure they have the right people on the bus and the right people in key seats before they figure out where to drive the bus. And so this concept of building teams actually gets more or less broken out into who are the right people to stand besides me in this organization before we even figure out Mm -hmm. exactly where we're going to go. So Mm -hmm. while I think having a plan is important and having a business plan and a strategy and goals in place for a business are important, until you have the other members on your team in that bus, it's really hard. It becomes almost a dictatorship to say, this is exactly where we're going. We know that we're going to travel from San Diego to Washington. Because if everybody on that bus says, dude, I don't want to go to Washington. I just wanted to go to Vegas and then go after Vegas to the Grand Canyon. I have zero desire to go north to Washington. Then that's not going to be a business that's in sync. And so I think what I look for in those first couple hires is an understanding of the business. And then what are my gaps? What are the things that I can hire people that are better than me so that I can work in conjunction with them? learn from them and simultaneously we can decide where to drive that bus together so that it's not just a top-down management strategy like you've worked with me in team capacities where i've been the leader and i mm-hmm. always tell people it's not me being the quarterback of the team actually if anything i'm your lineman i'm the one that's going to stand there and protect you guys to make the decisions that you can make to grow the business mm-hmm. Instead of being the one making every decision for the business, I want you guys to feel empowered to make decisions and that you have somebody that's going to stand in front of you and block and tackle and make sure that the decisions that you've made are supported. Yeah. And so the important feeling to have when you're part of a team is that support feeling. It's extremely absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think all of us have a pretty positive desire towards being a part of a team. And I'd say mm-hmm. at least 95% of people that I've hired have positive values to bring to the team. It's about mm-hmm. putting them in seats that are appropriate and allowing them to feel like they have the buy-in on the team versus just being barked out and being told what to do. Yeah. That's another thing. Ownership. I remember years ago, um, not ownership as in like management, but the feeling of ownership. I was in a seminar at Tales, Tales of the Cocktail. Uh, for those of you listening, Tales of the Cocktails is massive. And I don't even know if that's the right word. It's it's a behemoth of a cocktail festival. 
but I would attune it more to like a trade show and a world's fair kind of got together in New Orleans and had a second line for a week long stunt across the French quarter in the central business district. It is a massive, amazing place to go. 22,000 people flock to New Orleans every July for this thing. They're not a sponsor, but I love them. And I've been going every year since 2007 or eight. So it, it, it's, it's a great place to network and learn. And that's where I'm getting ready. That's, uh, they don't call me rabbit for no reason. That's where we're going with this story. Out of the rabbit hole and back into what we're talking about. I, I sat through a seminar with Sean Fenter. Um, at the time, he was with Bar Metrics a very long time ago. And Sean is one of the most dynamic operators for his own type of business and how he transmits information to the on-trade or to the hospitality sector. He's, he's like a top three to five person that I know I'm, I'm the know-how and to get actual action done. And one of the things he taught us was making sure that your team feels invested. They feel like they have ownership in what's going on and that they see that they're an integral part of an ecosystem that will survive without them, but is better and thrives with them. And I think, you know, that's, that's a big separator there because a lot of people, um, a lot of people, and this is proven are, are very ego driven. And I don't mean that ego is in a bad way, but the, you let your ego drive and not yourself drive. And when the ego drives, it makes some pretty questionable situ uh, decisions at, at, at times, right? So when you're an operator that can invest in your team and have them feel ownership, they get that opportunity to get some of their capital S self invested in what's going on, put on a menu, going out into the world, and then guests are coming in and buying drinks, and they 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 see that satisfaction rate, right? The satisfaction rate increases, your team, uh, your team retention rate increases. I started applying his methods uh, that same year, and the next bar that I opened, uh, the next city that we lived in, the next bar I opened, had an 83 pretension, uh, retention rate on the staff after year three. So I know that these yes. things work, and it's the same thing that you've, you've done with previous teams is building is giving them that ownership feeling and making sure that they feel seen and heard. Yeah, right. Uh, while we're um, While we're moving ahead. Uh, what are some of the qualities that you look for in these roles? And before, actually, before you answer that, I also want to mention that you you said something that uh, about people complimenting your actions and people that are complimentary to how you work. So that, and maybe even contrasting a little bit there, so that when you are dialed in with your team, you haven't hired people that sound like you, look like you, walk like you, talk like you, dress like you, quack like you. Right? You're hiring people that are different, people that feel that fill niches that are moving the needle with the entire ecosystem and, and not just kind of milling around. I think that's a very important piece to put out there. If you're listening to this, watching this, please get out of the mirror. Don't hire people that look like you. Don't hire people that sound like you. It, it's, it's nerve wracking and you're not giving the totality of the people that could help you drive the opportunity to help you drive. Now, having said that, what are some of the qualities that you look for in each of these roles? I think it comes down to what skill sets am I most placed at in this business or this hypothetical mm -hmm. business that I know I can have a hard, a hard ROI in what mm -hmm. roles or what 
delegation of tasks can I outsource to somebody where they can either do it or they can Mm -hmm. free up a lot of my time and energy so that I can focus on the things that I am good at. Because the truth is, is we're not, not everybody's good at everything. There's, you know, the, there's this ideology that we all should find one skill set and really hone it and perfect it and craft it. I'm not of the biggest believer that that's true. I like having multifaceted skill set, but with that, there's still major gaps in what I can and cannot do. So finding people that can complement those gaps and knowing of your shortcomings, I think is extremely important. And I think Nick, you know, I said I was only going to read one sentence of that quote, but a lot of it runs in parallel to the things that we're talking about. So I'm going to finish it up. Again, this goes back to Jim Collins. It says, when facing chaos and uncertainty, you cannot possibly predict what's coming around the corner. Your best strategy, or I would say even business plan, is to have a busload of people who can adapt and perform brilliantly no matter what comes next. And this is where it says, great vision, great people is the real. Wow. Think about how impactful that is. And and I'm going to pull this adjacent. Read that one more time. So I want to make sure I just got the, the right vision. What is what is that quote again? Yeah, the, the final sentence to the quote is great vision mm-hmm. without great people is irrelevant. But that actually takes me back to San Diego and Sunset Cliffs because you can be on Sunset Cliffs and watch a sunset. And you can talk about that sunset all day long with your friends and your family. And you can even take a picture of it. But a picture isn't, unless you've got a, a pro rig, a picture isn't going to capture what that sunset is. And if y'all haven't been to Sunset Cliffs, you go to San Diego, you have to. You can talk about it all day, but if you're actually there sharing it with a person, it changes the perception of what that is completely. I I hope that everyone can see the analogy in there. All right, so those are all really good. So how how would you expand on that? Well, I I think to add on it, right, I'm the voice Mm -hmm. of one, and my voice... Mm -hmm can be shared with however many people will listen to me. But if I can create a business where there's four, five of us that are all on the same page, speaking the same language and talking about the business in the same likeness, now we just amplified that by four or five times. And a lot of managers mm-hmm. manage people, you know, four or five people to manage is actually a pretty small number. So when you start talking about growing businesses and having multiple layers of management, it's the reason that the companies that you and I have worked for in the past, the big companies have very specific brand strategies and standards because it's hundreds mm-hmm. of people talking about things in the exact same way. Now, the success of the yeah. Aperol Spritz is Here's a brand. Here's one cocktail that's going to be made over and over and over again. And we're going to get it in the hands of consumers and let people try this. And we're going to be so diligent about the fact that it's made in this exact way, that it's printed on the back of the bottle, and it is literally consumed all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I love that that model, and I love talking about it because it's such a fun fairy tale, but it's a it's a true story, right? You take a company that was chasing the Prosecco business and, and getting that day drinking um, atmosphere or aspect of life in, and then you know fast forward a few years later, you know less than a decade historically, and now Prosecco chases the tail of Aperol to the point that I think, if I'm not mistaken, they bought a Prosecco company, so they own the whole the whole sphere of that of that, that build now. So it's. It's such a fun case study to look at and to read about, to think about, and, and 
and to it, to even look at the side angles of how successful that was. But you're right, getting everyone talking in unison and making sure those teammates understand that the importance of being able to talk the same lingo and the same lexicon across multiple channels in multiple markets in multiple global markets in sync. That's just that is a monumentous task, monumental task to put forth and somehow it worked. It, it's absolutely bonkers to think about that case study. I love it. Let me ask you this though. We've all done this, whether it's hiring at bars and for those of you listening that are in the hospitality sector, please pay attention to your skill sets and how you can hone those and transfer them around in different adjacent industries or even non-adjacent, honestly. You're doing things that I'm not 100% sure you understand are so relevant to so many different aspects of life. So you're on trade. You and I have ran bar team multiple times. You've hired that one person that you thought was going to be the banger. You know, put them in the service well on Friday night. Put them in uh, the, the public facing well Wednesday and Thursday. That they're, they're the key person, but they're not. For some reason, it just doesn't fit into place. That same thing can happen on marketing teams or sales teams. We've seen it across the board. Hell, I see it in other countries. You think you've got a banger and you just don't. How do you, how do you put action into planning to get the right piece to fit? And I'm asking you this because this is talking about building a brand. That's the mini series that we're in. And we are talking about building a team. And sometimes that's going to happen, right? So. How do you put action into making sure the right piece fits? Or do you take the person, that banger that you've hired, and find a way to mold them? So those so, are the que- That's the question. How about it? I think it goes back to the mentality that at least 95% of the people that I've worked with are well good people. And so it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. actually well, It's probably more likely. And there's a 95% chance of my is correct. That that person's just not in the right role for them. And so I think going back to, you know, some of the hospitality years, it's funny. I look at my career and I never once opened a bar restaurant from concept mm-hmm. to actual ribbon cutting day opening. Every role that I oh. had was coming in and fixing openings that weren't so successful. That's where I thrive right. because sitting there and doing the education, placing the ordering before people are in the door, that's not my thing. Like I want to get thrown gotcha. straight into the chaos and figure it out. I don't like the months of planning before an opening. It's just not, I, I find myself thriving in chaotic situations more than the planning situations. I know that about myself. 100% so I've it. probably ran into the situation where now I'm the captain of the ship or I'm the leader of the team, whatever you want to call it. And for some Mm -hmm. reason, there's just situations that are not working. And one of the things that I try and do from a leader standpoint is to sit back, observe, and just listen for a very long time before I actually start making decisions on how to move forward. It's Mm -hmm. a similar approach that I have to my clients today. You know, oftentimes I'm working with businesses that are anywhere between two and 10 years old and they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, two to $20 million in revenue 
a year currently, who am I to come in and say, I can fix all your business overnight? That's not the case at all. The case is, no. let me sit down, digest what's happening inside of your business, get an understanding, get as much material as I can, talk to as many people as I can so that I can actually build out what I think is the best path forward. And a lot of that is just being quick to listen and mm -hmm. um, not necessarily so quick to action and trying to find where people thrive, what people love, and what seats people generally want to be in. I love that answer, and I was hoping you were going to go for it because <laughs> I, would, I would agree that 95% of the time that person's – uh, not a bad apple. I believe that most people are inherently good people. I, I thrive on that belief. I believe that there's goodness in all of us, even the most what society is deemed twisted and mental and sick. There's goodness there. It's just undirected, right? And I 100 agree with you there. Um, you know what else I agree with, Josh? And I'm not trying to take away yes, from the gravity of that that answer because it is absolutely perfect. But there is a different type of gravity uh, that is in need at this moment. And the gravity of putting a commercial into this episode is where we are. So we are at the halfway point, my friend. Thank you so much for the thoughtful answer so far. I can't wait to see what happens in the second half of this interview. Uh, folks out there, please remember uh, that you can have your drink anytime, anywhere, any day, anyhow, if you make it a liar's. So we are going to go look at our uh, commercial break. We're going to go say hi to our friends at Liars Non-Alcoholic, our sponsors for season one of Tail Feather. And we'll be back in just a few minutes with Mr. Josh Carlos. Thanks and keep listening. Hey, Songbirds, welcome back to Tail Feather. Uh, we are joined here with Mr. Josh Carlos. You're getting ready to dive into, well, I guess, soar into, uh, well, birds dive too. So we're going to dive into section two here of episode number six. Uh, we're going to talk about putting things into action in this segment. And um, I'm going to give you a synopsis, and then I'm going to give you a, a question, Josh. Uh, you've built the team. You've adjusted it where you need to, right? So we just talked about adjustments on the team, making sure people are in the right places. You've started to build momentum, and you are post-honeymoon phase. So for a restaurant, you're post eight weeks, 12 weeks. For a brand, you are maybe at that 18-month mark, somewhere around there, uh, depending on. You're at that 18-month mark where uh, – Sales are kind of stabilized. You can forecast your 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 dry goods needs, your sourcing needs, so forth. Um, and I think it's pretty important we talk about the off and on premise here uh, because the we're going to talk about COVID, the 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 Voldemort war, word of viruses. We're going to talk about COVID a little bit here. It's a model shift, and we saw that in the heart of the pandemic. I remember a few of us. And I, you have to remember, we're all in a microcosm of a much larger field. Like hospitality is massive. But a lot of us think we're kind of talking to the, the entire group and we're really talking in a pretty small chamber to each other. Um, and we had an opportunity to kind of reset hospitality and to reset expectations. And I think that's starting to, to happen a little bit at least. Uh, that article that came out, I can't remember which publication, a couple of days ago with uh, how to interact with hospitality workers now. It's 
one of the, the major publications put it out and it was pretty decent, uh, article. I'm not going to agree with all of it, but it was, it was pretty, pretty smart in most of it. But we're now on that kind of ripple wave post COVID. We're heading into an endemic. Uh, I don't think we've seen the closures from COVID just yet. I, we saw a mass at the beginning. Now we're starting to see, um, those, uh, establishment level places trickle out of money and trickle out of staff because people are still moving. They're still migrating, still figuring out what's going on. We like to think we know what's going on, but I think we're still trying to figure it out. How do you think that ultimately affects business according to the team you have in place? Uh, and I want you to think about your, your historical career at this point and your current consulting freelancing. Um, how does a pandemic that is ended and turned into an endemic, how does that affect the team that's in place and, and how you're going to move forward with it? It's a good question. I think looking at the hospitality sector as a whole, and I was just having this conversation over lunch with a dear friend last week, is mm-hmm. we're now starting to see that there's a big shift towards experiences. Um, mm-hmm. And even today, I was reading articles about just the loneliness in the world. You know, there's quite often. Mm people that are sitting behind a computer screen and have zero interaction with another human being until they leave their house to go enter a hospitality scene. Okay, my day's done. I'm going to go sit at a restaurant and order food or beer, shoot to pool, something like that, right? And so it's wild to think, and this doesn't happen in my life because I have a family with kids that are constantly in the house, constant noise. But it's wild to think awesome kids, though. (laughs) Thank you. It's wild to think about a young professional that literally wakes up, starts their day in their home, sits behind a computer, spends all day there, and then has their first interaction with another human being face-to-face at 5 or 6 p.m. at night. So I think what we're starting to see in hospitality is, one, creating safe spaces, but really creating experiences for guests. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to get too deep down the rabbit hole into economic situation in the United States right now, where people are choosing to spend their money today is very much based upon the experience that they're going to have. The quality of food, quality of drink will be somewhat important, but it's really about the experience that's going to drive that customer to return back to the hospitality sector. And if you do not have the right team in place that has that same mentality and focusing on creating an environment where people want to return, I highly doubt that your business will be successful. So it goes back to making sure that your team feels fulfilled in what they do. They're in jobs and positions that they truly love and are growing in and have an opportunity to see their career uh, becoming more and more successful as they stay in that position. Because that mm-hmm. will then translate to the overall bottom line of the business. If your staff is happy and your customers have a very high likelihood of also being happy. It's almost like looking at building a staff nowadays, like building a menu, if you think about it. Because you want to have something for everyone on the menu, right? So you've got like your traditional drinks, which are sours, fizzes, fixes, spritz, so forth and so on. You've got your low ABV drinks, your no ABV drinks, your soft drinks, and then your caffeinated drinks. So, like, you build a drink menu or even a food menu, your apps, your mains, all that. You want to make sure you have a balanced menu so that there's something for everyone. It's as inclusive as you can possibly get, right? So, with the staff being – because when 
when I was running teams and I've, I've, we have a very similar background where I built bars from the, the ground up, like go in with the contractors, plan out the plumbing, plan out the construction, do all that. But I've also been there and I started as a fixer, much like you going in and making sense of chaos and, and putting systems into place to, to declutter and to systemize a place. Right. Started at a very young age. And, um, I think, and I might be crazy with this, and this goes for brands as well as on-premise, off-premise. I think we have to start looking at people differently, and I think we have to start asking different questions. So we're asking the same fucking questions all the time. Hey, there's an explicit warning on this episode, all of the episodes, because an occasional Good. F-bomb will flow out of my mouth. I've been trying to keep it yeah. elementary level, but... You yeah, know, it's, there's an explicit warming. No, it, it's going to fall out of my mouth at some point. The um, it, it aggravates me because um, when you when I was building bars, and I'm much much older than probably a lot of our listeners. You look for those speed bartenders. You look for the bartender that has that look, or you look for all the bullshit that we were fed by our the people before us, right? Uh, when it was a highly masculine. Um, highly ego-driven, narcissistic-fueled industry. And now it's more inclusive. We have made the steps to make it more inclusive. Not that the other stuff doesn't exist, but I think the hospitality industry as a whole is in a better place than it ever has been. I think it can be much better, but I think it's in a better place. And I think sales are starting to evolve the same way and marketing is starting to evolve the same way. Different conversations, more inclusive conversations. Um, are, are we asking the right questions? Are we asking the right questions to the people that we are hiring? Are we being more aware of our our unconscious bias when we are in these hiring models and team building models? Are we paying attention to that? And I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves so that we can make sure we are future-proofing teams. And Absolutely. when we're future-proofing teams, we're looking like three, six, nine, 12 months out ahead. What are maybe one or two things you would mention for future-proofing a team that would make sense to maybe, I'm not going to ask you to name your clients because you've, you've got a boatload of them, um, to maybe one or two of your clients. What, how, like if they were like, look, Josh, forecasting for the business model is X, Y, and Z over the next few months, but this innovation launch happens at Q3. Help me future-proof this because we need to hire three people that same quarter. What are some of the things you would do? Well, I think it's important to have those expectations and i think expectations can be a very positive thing mm -hmm. there's no such thing as future proofing in my opinion you know like going back to that bus analogy your best yeah. strategy is to actually surround yourself with like-minded people now i say like-minded like, you know, in the beginning of the episode we talked about stop hiring people that just look like a mirror image of yourself that's very yeah. important because not only is it skill set need right like i want to surround myself with people that are better at things than me and people that quite frankly aren't as good at certain things as me so that i can bring value to them just like they can bring value to me so having that diversity in a team is really important in skill set and look yeah. and background and ethnical background and religious background etc so that you can mm -hmm. look at all the different viewpoints because you might be ready to launch that new innovation and all of a sudden somebody that has a different ethnic background looks at the label and says, do you guys realize how fucked up that is that you put that on the label? Like that's a disrespect in my country. 
And I would have mm -hmm. maybe never known that. And so having yeah. that diversity in the team to look at things with a more holistic view is extremely important. Yeah. And there's no, no such thing as future-proof. Things risk everything. I think the mm -hmm. greatest example of that is none of us saw the world shutting down in you know 2020. I had just signed no. on to launch a brand in Australia. So we definitely didn't think that the world was going <laughs> to shut right. down in the way that it did. But right. at least if you could surround yourself with people that have the same level of expectation, the same professionalism, and the same desire to grow, then you're going to put yourself in a better situation than not. I agree. The The future-proofing thing, I, I love the term. Uh, it sounds so much fun, future-proof. Uh, but it, in all actuality, if you've prepared um, and done your homework and forecasted, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of future-proofing. And, and being non-reactive, I think being proactive takes care of the future-proofing. I think the the problem when you start to look for things like future proofing is when you're you turn into a reactive team instead of a proactive team and you're you're caught in that same cycle and it's a vicious cycle we've seen some of the big houses um go through it in the past i i've worked with big houses that have gone through it and it's oh man is it a lot of work but uh you can get out the other side of it you can make sure that systems are improved uh, the people are more knowledgeable. And again, making sure the right people are in the right place is hyper, hyper important. Um, I kind of want to move the conversation over to your, your freelancer consultant uh, side, because I did mention you've got a lot of clients. We're not going to get into the client uh, pool. Um, but if you were to have to build teams for the projects that you're working on, I think you may have already answered this, but I'm going to ask it anyways, because we tend to give a little bit of the same information, but expand uh, when given the same question twice in different words. Uh, how are you approaching the hiring and building of teams for the projects you're working on? And how has what you have learned in your historical past helped prepare you for what you're doing now? So take everything that you've done up to this moment. How does that help you with the, those 6, 12, 15, 20 clients, whatever that number is now? Like if they were to come and ask you to build them a team, what are you doing? Yeah, I think it varies a lot based upon the level of the business, right? Like you can't mm -hmm. say here's a one-size-fits-all solution for teams. You need three people in marketing, two in supply chain, one person in operations. Like every company is a different size and every business has different needs. The one mm -hmm. thing that I will say that stood out to me while I was at Campari is I was always told you receive this job because you're the best person in this market to do the job. And we fully believe that. And when mm -hmm. I first started at Campari, I was like, okay, yeah, thanks guys. Like, sure. Thanks for the pat on the back. I work in hospitality. Let me just show you. But to actually mm -hmm. take a step backwards and think about that all over again, they were entrusting me because they did have the belief and the faith that I could execute their plan and their strategy in my market because I knew the market. And now when I look at the businesses that I'm involved in on a day-to-day -day basis, my goal is very much to talk to the local market experts. And you know, I was just on a planning call with a distributor in Indiana today. And my client says, hey, Josh, can you tell the distributor what, what we think we should do? I said, actually, no, I can't because I've been to Indianapolis once in my life. I can't tell the client 
this is what the plan should be for Indianapolis. And we're going to roll out this red carpet. And now we're going to triple our sales volume from 20 and 20. But there's somebody sitting on this call that lives in Indianapolis, knows Indianapolis, could probably walk the streets of Indianapolis blindfolded. Why don't we ask him? And so, again, it's letting experts be experts, letting people have a seat at the table and not necessarily managing with a top-down perspective and utilizing the assets that you have in the team. So more often than not, because I work with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses, I'm recommending Mm -hmm. let's not hire a full-time employee. Let's actually use a brokerage in a market that we can give very specific KPIs and get their feedback Mm -hmm. on how those KPIs are helping building the brand. Because my KPI of a staff training may not be that relevant in a particular city because maybe they're more focused on off-premise and a staff training that's geared towards on-premise isn't going to help build the business. But if I could sit down with that brokerage or that independent contractor and start to ask questions about how they foresee building that brand and we can work together with mutually understanding what the goals of the business are, then that's going to be a way better relationship than me just plucking somebody up off the internet or hiring somebody because they were you know, um, referred to me and saying, okay, this is your job, your job description, go do it. And while every business is unique, oftentimes it's leaning towards the people in market that can tell you where to find that success. I think you just invented a new um, marketing acronym. So congratulations for that. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce you to local market experts, the LMEs, the LMEs of the world. SMEs will now interface with LMEs and we will get to the correct outcomes for the KSPs for next F1H2Q4 of next year. So holy crap, I just gave myself an anxiety attack by saying all that and talking about anxiety, time to throw your ass on the grill. We are about to fry you up, Mr. Josh Carlos. Uh, This is the part of the show where we give you an impromptu question. Uh, You don't really get to think about it. Quick answers only. Uh, Here is your question. And since we're talking about team building, we're going to go with teams. Uh, You have the opportunity to build out brands. You pick your brand. You pick the category. You have to do that for the question. What is your first hire and what is your second hire and why? You've got 10 seconds in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, Three, two, one, and go. So number one, this is the easiest one for me. I have a good CFO because I can build a financial model, get to have Mm -hmm. somebody sit down and from a tax compliant perspective, put money in Mm -hmm. the right buckets. Like, that's not me. Like, let me build a financial model of how I think the business should operate. And then let's give it to a true accountant to make sure that it's legally compliant and that we don't have to deal with the federal government coming after us for money later. So that one's very good. I hope everyone watching and listening hears that the CFO is number one. All right. What's number two? Well, and I'll add to that. If you don't actually pay a tax guy, I think it's probably something you should change this year because it is the easiest and one of the cheapest ways to get financial advice and to protect yourself is just being a tax guy. It's not that expensive. Wait, are um, you telling me that it's actually cheaper to be organized than have the federal government come after you for back taxes plus penalty? Who would have known? Yeah. All right. Sorry for the interrupt. Number two, I'd probably hire somebody in a supply chain and logistics role. 
I think mm. out of stocks kill brands. There's plenty of time that needs to be spent calling trunking companies, making sure that product's being moved to where it needs to be moved, reviewing bills from warehouses where product is stored, fighting um, chargebacks and billbacks from shipping companies, etc. It takes a lot of time and energy, and I know that it's not my specialty. So again, I'm going to mm -hmm. hire somebody that's better at that than I am and can take that weight off of my shoulder so I could focus on sales and marketing. And for the listeners and viewers out there, um, out-of-stocks happen at all levels, from the macro and the large multinational, multi-billionaire, billion company, all the way down to the the, the, the smallest of companies. Um, out-of-stocks um, production issues are an issue in every facet of beverage, uh, CPG, consumer product goods doesn't matter what it is. It's always been an issue. And until we find a way to replicate things Star Trek style, it's going to be an issue. Uh, the only reason that you see it in the smaller brands, maybe a little more acutely, is because you don't have 12 other SKUs and Brand X um, that can fill the gaps while Brand X is being restocked and re reformulated. Um, really good answers. Really, really, and quick. Really quick. So, uh, I want to know what you're up to. We're going into plugs. You can mention anything and everything you want here. Uh, maybe it's as simple as a shout out for LinkedIn or you know, a guest before you talked about uh, opportunities with working with her. What are some things that you want the general public out there in the world to know about? Yes, yeah, so I think 2023 was my year of reset. Um, as I stated, did a lot of travel with the family, really just enjoyed life and somewhat unplugged for quite some time. In 2024, mm -hmm. I'm really excited. I'm building up more of a workload with some amazing clients um, the yeah. clients kind of rotate in and out with some smaller contracts some larger contracts but i think overall if you find yourself as a listener and you work for a small brand up to a medium-sized brand you know i'd probably say anything from zero dollars in revenue to a 20 million dollar revenue business those are the types of clients I, I like to work with and i like to see if i can insert myself in some unique critical thinking to help them grow so if that's you please reach out to me on linkedin and you know hopefully we can have a discussion about your brand and the goals of your company right on well thank you so much josh um they can find you on linkedin is there any social handles that you check frequent enough that you'd want to mention i mean i'm on instagram a lot but if you look at my instagram it's photos <laughs> of my motorcycle my kids or probably my new puppy so not much else. oh you got a puppy that's awesome that's awesome. And yeah, we got I mean, a puppy too. Obviously, the, the, the kids and motorcycle obviously are an amazing thing. But that shows that you have a life-work balance. And I'm going to get yes. you on season two to talk about life-work balance. We're getting rid of this bullshit work-life balance. Life happens no matter what. Mm. We're going to reframe it. It's life-work balance. And with that... We're going to go into, you can find Tail Feather at Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, uh, RSS.com, YouTube this week, so forth and so on. If it's a major iHeartRadio, if it's a major podcast hosting site, you can find us there. Uh, we air every other Tuesday. Now, without any further ado, thank you to our songbirds for tuning in and listening to what we, Josh and I, have to share with you, our general public. Thank you to our sponsors at Liars Not Alcoholic. We appreciate your support and look forward to having our drink anywhere, anytime, as long as we make it a liar. And that is a wrap. Put a feather in my cap from the nest. I'm Nick. We'll see you next time. Alexa, show me how to make a cocktail without alcohol. Sure. 